Hello and welcome to one more episode of the Oplane podcast where you will find inspiring stories of innovation in the commercial aviation industry. First of all, let me remind you that you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast as well as many other inspiring stories about aviation on our website oplane.tv that's a l p l a n e.tv Today we're going to talk about a topic that is becoming increasingly popular, sustainable aviation fuel. Sustainable aviation fuel has taken a very prominent place in the public debate. It's not exactly a new technology, but it has taken a very prominent place in the public debate. There is a very pressing need to decarbonize aviation and the new propulsion technologies such as electric flight and hydrogen power aircraft are still being developed and in the best of cases a few years away from being available at scale. It is in this context that sustainable aviation fuel, which is made from biomass, from different types of waste, or even through synthetic production methods, has emerged as a ready alternative that can also be used with the aircraft and infrastructure that are already in place. The problem is that supply is very limited at the moment, and the cost is much higher than conventional fuel, like three to five times higher. So what can be done? What is the current situation in the sustainable aviation fuel industry? And which production methods are more promising? What are their perspectives? We are going to try to answer all these questions today with Jonathan Wood. He is a VP for Renewable Aviation at Neste, the Finnish energy firm that is currently the global market leader in sustainable aviation fuel. So tune in for a comprehensive overview of this very promising technology. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mikael. How are you? Very well. Uh, Thank you so much for making time today for for this conversation, because we are living through very interesting times in the sustainable aviation fuel industry. It's pretty much every day that we get news about a new initiative, a new project, a new airline that has launched a program to use more sustainable aviation fuel. So I thought what best than to have one of the You've been working in this industry for quite some time and, and you are now a VP at one of the top players in the sustainable aviation fuel industry. That's a Finnish company, Neste. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your professional background and about your current role before we move on to discussing general situation of the industry and particularly the very interesting projects that you are conducting at Neste. Yeah, well, thanks Mikael for the chance to talk and uh, nice to get to know you. You're absolutely right. There's a lot going on in this space. I think if we look uh, at a macro level, it's clear the last couple of years that greenhouse gas and carbon emissions have become more and more of a topic, whether it's Flugscam and Greta Thunberg, whether it's, I would say, an elevated recognition of climate change risks through this pandemic and then uh, a number of reports coming out as we, we head towards the, the Climate Change Conference COP26 in Scotland in November. I think um, it's very clear that the, the imperative to take action is becoming clearer and clearer. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that and what, what's happening in the aviation and SAS space. But with respect to myself, yeah, I'm now um, VP for Neste's Renewable Aviation or SAS business in Europe and ASPAC. A new space for Neste, but Neste obviously has a lot of experience in producing renewable fuels and recycling uh, waste materials. Um, but before joining at the beginning of last year, uh, Neste to take on this role, I was for many years in ABP, responsible for the growth agenda, responsible for business development in new geographies and with new products and services, and had indeed had some involvement in the uh, low carbon fuels or SAF space. And, and prior to that, many, many years in commercial roles with BP in, in the fuels business around, around the world. Sustainable aviation fuel has come to, to the top of the agenda, let's say. Uh, it's quite, quite surprising because for as far as I can remember, there was a lot of buzz in the media about electric flight, uh, more recently about hydrogen. But all of a sudden, it seems that sustainable aviation fuel has taken a much more prominent space. Is this because it has come to be regarded as a perhaps a, a more pragmatic approach to fulfill the, the very ambitious climate and emissions goals? What do you think is happening here? I think, in a nutshell, you're, you're probably right. I mean, 
IATA set goals more than 10 years ago to reduce emissions by 50% by 2050 versus a 2005 baseline. And already in those times, we were talking about new aircraft technology to improve efficiency, which has been, as we all know, I mean, the industry has a great track record in terms of continuously improving the efficiency of the aircraft. But, you know, what can be done in terms of new propulsion technologies, as you say, to change the game there, be it hydrogen, be it electric. Then we've got operational efficiencies. And then you've got liquid fuel types that uh, reduce net emissions. And all of those were, were seen as being important 10 years ago. If you fast forward to the ATAG IATA report that came out at the end of last year, I think it reconfirmed that all of those strands have a role to play. But if we think about the next 10 years, I think SAF is the, is the piece that can play the most material role, in particular in, 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 in the t- 10 to 15 year time frame. And then let's see whether new propulsion technologies can really emerge uh, thereafter. But I think, I think, you know, what's clear, what most of the industry experts talk about is how electric may be more of a solution for a shorter haul and smaller aircraft. But as soon as you get into longer haul and larger aircraft, I think liquid, liquid uh, fuels are going to play a role um, as far as we can see uh, right We've got technology, production technologies for, for SAF in place now. And and um, uh, as we all know, and many, many production technologies have been approved by ASTM, but the heifer-based hydro-treated esters and fatty acids process has been, uh, is the one that's most available today and is being scaled up by Neste and other players. But then we've got to really make sure that we, we do actually progress the other technology pathways, be it alcohol to jet, be it uh, use of for solid waste and the fissure troughs gasification. And ultimately, be uh, hopefully the use of renewable energy and uh, capturing of carbon to create so-called ESAF or, or power-to-liquid-based uh, SAFs, uh, maybe from the 2030s onwards. All of them, I believe, have a role to play, and I think we really need to recognise that there's no one silver bullet here. Whether it's new aircraft propulsion technologies, operational efficiencies, which makes sense under all scenarios, and then in the SAF field. Let's make sure we pursue and drive forward with all the different production technologies. And then time will tell which ones we can really drive the cost down furthest on um, through scale economies and so on and and the learning effects. Uh, I mean, we've all seen what's happened in the last 20 years with the massive growth of renewable energy uh, with with, um, wind power and solar. We really need to take the same, I believe, attitude to aviation uh, fuel and see which production technologies ultimately prove to be the the best for the long term. But I think over the next 10 years, we need to run with what we've got because the IPCC report that was issued just a couple of weeks ago in the lead up to the COP conference made it, I think, very clear for everybody. We can't wait another 10 years. We're seeing it around us today, what's, what's, what's happening with climate change. We're already well over one degree centigrade above uh, the levels of, um, of the 19th century. And uh, we're on track to sail past the one and a half degree target that the Paris conference five years ago set. So we really need to take what we've got now and in parallel develop uh, all of the options for the future. The mm-hmm. challenge, of course, then, is that, of course, none of these options come at the same cost as the current fossil jet fuel option. And I would argue, you know, that's that's an issue that we need to come to terms with because it's actually not a fair comparison because, as I've just said, the fossil jet fuel option is not really an option for society when we look forward. At this point, I would, I would start maybe by doing a quick recap of uh, the, the different methods and technologies that are there available because, as you mentioned there, there are different ways to obtain sustainable what's considered that what can be labeled as sustainable aviation fuel hefa system hefa hefa yeah hefa yeah then there's a fisher trop i don't know if i pronounce it correctly 
process. Is that uh, it's an old? Uh, it's a process that was developed a very long time ago. I think about a hundred years ago, but it's. It's proven to be one of the ways that you can obtain sustainable aviation fuel. You have alcohol to, to jet fuel, which is based on, on some organic feedstock, starchy vegetables. Then you have all the, all the wall of uh, synthetic fuels, which are, is basically uh, creating them from non-organic material. So all of, these, all of these processes are currently kind of being developed in parallel by, by different people, different entrepreneurs, different, different companies. Uh, from what you said at Neste, you are most active in the uh, HEFA system. Is that right? That, that's correct. We developed uh, 10 years or more ago some proprietary technology, production technology uh, expertise, which has enabled Neste to already establish a quite material renewable diesel fuel mm -hmm. uh, business. We're now applying that technology know how to produce with a, an extra step and, and, and indeed as a result some extra cost uh, renewable uh, jet fuel or SAF mm -hmm. and we're also as an SDA uh, taking our know-how into the renewable polymers and chemicals business uh, as well so so as a feedstock a renewable feedstock for the chemicals industry that's just the, the I'd say the most material production technology currently in use and as I say in particular for renewable diesel and now and now being applied for renewable jet fuel but but those other technology pathways that you just referred to have been approved uh, some years ago by ASTM and uh, you've got different companies developing pilot plants I know that in the municipal use of municipal solid waste you've got fulcrum you've got which has just completed its uh, pilot plant in, in, in the US You've got companies like Velocis talking about developing projects in the UK. Then you've got, you know, as you said, the alcohol to jet route with companies like Lanzatec uh, uh, working um, in partnership with other companies to develop uh, projects. And then, as you say, the, 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 the power to liquids or you know, power to liquids pathway, which I think will take a little bit longer to, to, to uh, properly uh, develop the electrolysis of uh, capturing of hydrogen out of out of water with electrolysis, combining that with the capturing of carbon from either industrial emissions or from direct air capture to then create a, a liquid fuel. As Neste, what I would say is we're building and we're investing uh, significantly in the technology we know today, but we're also certainly investing um, time and effort to understand with also partners what those future technologies could look like. And we as Neste are certainly committed to, to also developing, um, bringing on stream capacity as and when it's ready um, uh, with those other future technologies as well. Mm -hmm. So basically to summarize that, what, what's the feedstock for each of these processes? Because when, I, when I've been reading about sustainable aviation fuel, well, on paper, it sounds like a, a very straightforward way to get uh, less carbon intensive fuel, but if I understand it correctly, there's, there's a bit of a bottleneck with the raw material, with the sourcing of the raw materials, apart from higher production costs. So that those would be two, two major bottlenecks here to have a bigger sustainable aviation fuel industry. As a result of that, I think the intake at the moment in the aviation industry is less than 1%. Y yes, uh, you're absolutely right that right now the production capacity for SAF is, is significantly less than 1%. I'll come in in a second to how we see that mm -hmm. growing over time. There are certainly some independent reports which, which indicate that that could grow to, say, 10% of global demand by 2030. But to your point about feedstocks yeah. your, your, or raw materials, you're right that that's a key issue. But so long as we keep an open mind to feedstocks, whilst at the same time, obviously, maintaining the requirements that they are truly sustainable, in other words, they aren't impacting, they aren't causing indirect land use change. They should not be uh, impacting biodiversity and the like. But there are a number of biogenic uh, raw materials avail uh, available that, that could certainly allow for the production to be expanded, as I say, to 10% uh, and beyond uh, of all aviation fuel demand. So the, the way we see it, we've got wastes uh, and uh, so-called residue lipids, so waste oils and fats, 
which we see having uh, availability of some 35 to 40 million tons a year. Those are the ones that you use in uh, Neste yeah. right now, right? Exactly, uh, and those uh, are the raw materials we use in this heifer-based uh, mm -hmm. production method today. Mm -hmm. But that could be expanded if we have an open mind to, I would say, um, agricultural and forestry residues, uh, also uh, crops on from or, or use of biogenic uh, raw materials from degraded land that otherwise would not be used, or even potentially intermediate crops where the land is otherwise uh, fallow or not being used. Mm -hmm. So there are, is a way by which we can significantly increase beyond the 40 million tons of waste oils and fats that are currently available um, to, to probably, um, if you were include municipal solid waste as well, there would be, if you take all of those sources, sufficient raw materials to actually produce enough sat to meet global aviation fuel demand. Um, and I'm talking about pre-COVID levels. So that's the view if you, uh, I mean, there was a World Economic Forum Clean Skies for Tomorrow uh, report issued and the Clean Skies for Tomorrow Coalition is a combination of airlines, suppliers, airports, industry players. And the view taken in that investigation was that indeed, yes, there is sufficient raw material, so long as we don't constrain ourselves artificially to use biogenic uh, raw materials and then and then also municipal waste, and ultimately uh, that, that would get us to uh, potentially 100% of, of global aviation demand, and then and then as I say, uh, the power to liquids uh, approach would then uh, obviously have uh, in theory unlimited uh, resources, so long as we can get hold of the renewable power at a sensible cost. The materials are there, but are, are they in the right places? Because one thing that makes me wonder here is how the logistic chain for uh, the sourcing of all these materials works. Because you might have, I don't know, like forestry residue in Scandinavia, for example. Uh, then you might have waste oils coming from everywhere, really. Is there the infrastructure in place to collect all these waste materials from many different locations and bring them to the production facilities? Or that's something that this is a, a sort of a logistic chain that would need to be built eventually from scratch or from almost scratch? Because at the moment, as you mentioned, the, the production levels are relatively small. Yeah. So, uh, yes, this can be managed. I, I agree that it's... Um, it's it's a more complex operation. It's a higher cost operation than than uh, moving uh, fossil based crude oil in in uh, super tankers around the world. But um, and it may it may result in smaller production plants, more widely distributed. But um, you know we at Neste are certainly ensuring that we um, are able to manage the supply uh, sourcing of uh, of raw materials. That's as almost as important an activity as the, the marketing of it uh, once it's made and the bringing to market. So, you know, we, we, we envisage uh, having production facilities in, 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 in all of the major continents and, uh, and are investing, as we speak, in, in, in Singapore, in Asia, and, and obviously in, in Europe. So, but yes, it's certainly true to say that if you look at uh, the um, production plants that are being, or production projects uh, on the drawing board, um, they are they are widely distributed because the um, the different raw materials are you know certainly if you're going for municipal solid waste you, you you're probably going to be in in the major urban centres if you're trying to uh, source all of these biogenic raw materials then then you need to have quite a um, sophisticated uh, sourcing uh, setup and pre-treatment uh, facilities as well. Mm -hmm. How how vertically integrated is this sustainable aviation fuel industry? For example, at Neste, do you take care of all the all the value chain all the way from the origination of all these feedstocks all the way to the let's say when the the, the, the final distribution where the the, the hose basically uh, fills the aircraft tank? I would say that at Neste we are quite vertically integrated, it's, it's especially in terms of the feedstock sourcing. There have been a, a number of uh, announcements in the last year made by Neste demonstrating our desire to ensure we have reliable sourcing of the feedstocks, the production facilities, and then the, the, the marketing of those. When I think when it comes to bringing it to market, 
we are we are comfortable working with partners uh, because we recognize that there are established uh, distribution networks and infrastructure and the great thing obviously about renewable fuels is it's a, uh, 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 typically a drop-in fuel so they're fungible so you can put them in the existing infrastructure and of course in the existing aircraft or or, or, or road vehicles so um it's blended before it's um in the case it, of SAF, to aircraft yeah in the case of SAF, you're obviously right of course it uh, yeah. currently is only approved up to a 50 percent blend in the case of road transportation you don't you don't need to blend it but in the, the point is that at, at that point from that point you can put it in the existing infrastructure so as i say you know uh, neste yes we have uh, established positions at um, particular airports but we're also very comfortable working with our partners to ensure that the product is bought to as many uh, users as possible i mean this is a this is a business which is still in its early stages of growth and over the next 10 years i'm sure uh, i believe that it will grow quite rapidly and so it's actually essential that we make it available to the different channels to market that would be uh heifer system uh feeding on organic waste materials yeah. then the fisher drops what goes into the fisher drops what, what's the raw material well municipal uh solid waste is the uh feedstock which is most which being developed most i mean there's a there's a sorting exercise that needs to take place there before that raw material can then be processed into into ultimately um feedstock for uh, the production of a liquid liquid hydrocarbon fuel so i mean ultimately it is still predominantly biogenic in, in origin Mm -hmm. There's an element here that I find quite interesting is with these processes, they, they basically feed on, on waste. In a way, that's a secondary positive effect, I guess, that you are getting rid of, of waste and giving, recycling waste, giving it a, a new use. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why it's hard not to, what's not to like about a, an approach like that and, and, and quite frankly, Neste is, is all about recycling waste materials that are already in our ecosystem and, and making them useful again. So uh, that's an underlying theme which I think uh, is spreading not just in the, uh, the SaaS business but more generally across society as we realise that we've got to change how we, we, we live and create more of a circular recycling economy. Yeah, sa saving landfill space <laughs> as well yeah, along exactly. the way. Interesting. Then we have to make here like a point that when we talk about sustainable aviation fuel, that means that you don't want to subtract organic production from crops that feed people. I think it was about a decade ago when biofuels became popular. There was, I think, a, a, some inflation, like food inflation in, in parts of the world because some crops were devoted to, and, and land was devoted to producing biofuels instead of food crops. So, and, and the same thing goes for just cutting trees and, and cutting biomass to, to do stuff. Yeah. So th those would be uh, byproducts of already existing processes so that they're going to be used instead of going to waste. Yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're very clear as Neste and I think uh, now the standards for SAS, the SAS industry are very clear. It has to be sustainable, that means mm -hmm. There can't be indirect land use change. Yeah. It has to be from established sources. It has to be waste product that would otherwise not be um, useful for human consumption, for example. And mm -hmm. this fuel versus food debate, we're not negatively impacting food availability. Yeah, that's a very important point. And, and there's a whole certification process, there, there are certification yeah. uh, labels that basically make sure that this is the case in order to be labeled as sustainable. Then we have the alcohol to jet. What can you tell us about this, this process? So that comes from um, the feedstock is uh, starchy vegetables, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 you're right. That's certainly the lines of my understanding. I have to say I'm probably not so familiar with uh, that production pathway, but uh, I know that um, there, there, there are companies looking to develop projects. Uh, Landsat Tech is probably one of the, the leaders in the space mm -hmm. in, in different continents. So so um hopefully that that will prove to be uh, successful as well mm -hmm. uh, and then we would have the synthetic fuels as you mentioned earlier that uh, basically use electrolysis and um, green power to yeah. uh, to take carbon and and then through a series of, of chemical reactions they, they produce synthetic fuels they're expected to play quite a big role in the uh in achieving the eu goal 
of, uh, I think it's pretty ambitious goal, like having 60 plus percent of uh, fuel being sustainable in by 2050. And yeah. of, the, of, the, of this amount, uh, a very significant part would have to be synthetic fuels. So there's a, a, a special provision for synthetic fuels, I guess, because if the market has to grow that much, then we would be having some problem here sourcing all this organic feedstock, right? So we would need to get other sources for sustainable aviation fuel. Yeah, you're right. The renewable power-based um, power-to-liquids uh, approach is going to be key and probably will represent in 2050, half or more of the, of the total liquid sat available. But it's important to remember two things. One, it's not available now. It's still got a quite, a, it's not at the technology readiness level to be commercially scaled up yet. So let's build what we can, or consume what we can by develop, by bringing to market a sat using the technologies that, that are available today. And then the power to liquids approach can build on that. So um, it's, not, it's not about replacing, it's about building on um, those technologies that can already make uh, a significant contribution over, over the next 10 years and then, then build on that with additional power to liquids capacity. We've talked about the, the feedstocks a lot, but what about the production? I mean, sustainable aviation fuel at the moment is more expensive than conventional jet fuel. Uh, up to what point this is because of the production process? Up to which point this is due to, to scale? Basically, are we here in a chicken and egg situation where because there's a, still a small scale production, costs are higher, and then that in turn makes it less attractive to, to produce it, and we are kind of in a sort of in a, in a vicious circle. How much is due to the intrinsic difficulty of, of producing these, uh, these fuels and how hopeful you are that the production process is going to basically evolve in a direction that would bring these costs down in the near future? Yeah, so I would agree with you. Um, it's definitely a chicken and egg situation where uh, the higher cost means less demand, which means less investment, which means higher cost. So uh, we're definitely in that situation. The different production technologies have a different balance in terms of what's driving the cost. So the heifer-based technology is more aligned on a larger portion of the cost is driven by the feedstock or raw materials compared with municipal solid waste-based fish and trucks production where you've got a much higher capital investment up front, and a much higher investment for a lower production capacity, but then your ongoing raw material costs are, are potentially close to zero. I think when you go to power to liquids, then actually, yes, you've got uh, actually uh, raw materials in the form of renewable power, which uh, right now is more costly, and therefore, that needs to definitely uh, also uh, come down. So the different technologies have a different balance between capital cost and, and operational cost and raw material cost. May I ask something? I, I'm sure that I'm sure that over time the costs can be brought down. But um, you know we're looking at depending on what the fossil jet fuel prices at any time. Over the last year, we've looked at prices for SAF, which are somewhere between three and five times that of fossil jet fuel. Do I think that will come down over time? Yes, but it depends a little bit on what the fossil jet fuel price is, of course. But, um, you know, the, the, uh, the future technologies are higher cost, but they probably have more opportunity to reduce their cost over time as we, um, as we uh, get more experience in them. We should not assume that by, doing the, by, by pursuing these technology, production technologies, we can necessarily get lower cost and not, not and there may be there may be less volatility. It depends a little bit on which which production method you're 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 employing. But um, I, I think uh, there's certainly got to be a huge investment, a huge investment, to get the uh, the production capacity up and the and the cost down. And this is where policy and incentives can be so important in helping drive a level of demand or stimulate a level of demand which will help us help encourage the investment to be made to scale up and that, and whether you take the incentives approach which is largely uh, the approach in in, in in the us or in some european markets 
or you move towards the mandated model, which some European markets have now adopted, where a certain proportion of fuel has to be renewable. And that's, by the way, in Europe, an approach which has worked successfully for road fuels. So it looks like with the EU Fit for 55 uh, policy package that that's the pathway that um, is going to be adopted in, in the European Union. And indeed, it looks like the UK is probably going down a, a similar pathway. The key is that we, we encourage a level of demand which helps drive the investment to grow supply. I, I wanted to ask you about this because the refuel document published by the European Union sets up these percentages, these goals, mentions as well that uh, over 100 new plants will need to be built in order to supply this market in, in the coming couple of decades. But there is little detail of, about who's going to build these plants, where the capital is going to come from. And my question here is, there, there are those goals, but what's going to be the trigger for the uh, financial and industry players to uh, take action and, and go from, from words to action and allocate uh, the capital there? I guess one thing we are seeing now in the market is uh, large corporates, for example, that have large travel budgets, that have sustainability programs, they are committing now to paying for sustainable aviation fuel? Is that enough of an incentive for the industry to invest? Is this sort of, uh, let's say, public commitment or public goal setting enough to, to invest in, in, in more production capacity? What are normally the drivers in this, in this type of cases where the, the government sets a goal, which can be rather abstract, but then, yeah, there's some way to go to meet it? Yeah, well, I, I think that the government has got a role to play here in setting you know, goals, as you say. And um, in, in, in Europe, let's see where uh, the uh, current discussions uh, end up. But um, uh, certainly a 5% goal, uh, so 5% of all aviation fuel should be SAF by 2030. It might end up being higher, let's see. Um, certainly, I know many member states have goals of 30% of all aviation fuel being SAF by 2030. If that becomes an obligation, like on the renewable, uh, like on the road transport fuel side, mm -hmm. then the suppliers have to make it available. The cost is borne by the end user, be they a private consumer or a corporate uh, consumer. <laughs> so um, it does come at an extra cost. But if you if you do it this way, it's a level playing field. Mm -hmm. There's no competitive distortion. Certainly, if you've got a similar level across a region such as the, the European region, and it helps drive and provides a, 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 a framework in which companies can then make investment decisions. Mm -hmm. In the US, the philosophy is one of uh, providing incentives, uh, but the end result is the same. If it becomes competitive with fossil jet fuel after taking into account the incentives, then it will help drive demand, even if it's as a result of a mandate on the road transportation side. Although, who knows, with the Biden administration, we're seeing potentially the possibility of a mandate for, for, for SAF as well. We, we are seeing lots of activity in, in, in the US so far and on the industry side. Actually, yesterday we got yes. an announcement by United Airlines as well, yeah. uh, committing to sustainable aviation fuel purchases. Uh, I don't know what's the situation in other major aviation markets in, in China, in India, Brazil. What's a view there in those markets about this? Well, our view is we're seeing you know, Europe and, North, and North America, US and, and mm -hmm. to a degree Canada, other leaders. In Asia or ASPAC, uh, we see emerging interest. We as Neste have supplied sustainable aviation fuel into Japan. And we're hopeful that we'll be supplying it into other markets in, in, in the near future. You're seeing one or two countries like New Zealand and Australia talk about policy and, and a mandate in the case of New Zealand. There is a consultation process on the way. So, so we're seeing, I would say, uh, the, the start of the dis uh, policy discussions in ASPAC. I think they're much more well-developed in Europe and North America. And I'm sure the other regions will follow uh, as well. But um, I would just like to also mention something you referred to earlier. It's not just about 
policy setting at a certain mandate level or a certain level of incentive. We are seeing now voluntary additional demand for SAF to reduce emissions from corporates and to a degree from the private consumer. There are a few programs out there where consumers, when uh, you know, uh, yep. such as ourselves, when we travel for private leisure purposes, we we can you know, to top up. Yeah. yeah, we can we can effectively pay the extra so that SAF is used for uh, uh, what would equate to the to the uh, carbon emissions for uh, our, our trip, and and that's something that is now being you know there are companies like Lufthansa with the Compensate program, and and you're not, you're now seeing that uh, deployed uh, at greater scale with corporates. So whether it's BCG, Microsoft, Google, or whoever, who are saying as part of their uh, company philosophy and, and environmental and uh, sustainability uh, goals, that they um, they want to reduce so-called scope three carbon emissions, where they're uh, travelling and and basically pay for SAF in order to ensure that they are um, zero or close to zero uh, net emissions. Yeah, and, and also on the cargo side. Once again, it's ultimately driven by the end consumer. There are companies that believe that reducing their, the, the emissions associated with the production of their offer, their, their products, is um, something they want to sign up for. So you're now seeing cargo, which of course in the aviation world right now is the healthiest part financially of, of the commercial uh, airline business. And seeing uh, end shippers um willing to pay for 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 staff to be used so that's those are all i would say voluntary additional uh sources of funding the um the demand growth just to explain to those listening that might not be familiar with this type of programs um actually we mentioned it in a in another podcast i did recently with uh maria fiskrut a nordic expert that we're talking about uh, in sweden some similar initiatives uh, so basically, people booking a flight would have the chance to uh, basically pay a bit extra uh, during the booking process, just yeah. as when people do offsets, for example. But in this case, instead of an offset, it would be paying extra to cover this extra cost of sustainable aviation fuel. That means not necessarily that the, the, the fuel in that particular flight they are taking will be sustainable fuel, but uh, overall, they, they're bringing sustainable aviation fuel into the system by helping cover in this this price differential so that's uh that's something that uh, many airlines now are implementing i think british airways uh, just yep. a few days ago announced the launch of its own um, sustainable aviation fuel voluntary purchase program uh, as you mentioned also lufthansa um, sas has the same thing as well yes, so right. it's becoming and, more more and more general yeah and i i would just like to say on that mm-hmm. <laughs> we've heard about how cost is the challenging issue for SAP right now. And we all get that the airlines can't simply pay the extra uh, cost and expect to stay uh, financially uh, viable. But if we put it in terms of what it costs for the end customer, mm-hmm. um, and there was a study done in, in, in an independent study uh, from the Finnish government, I, th- I think it was at the end of last year, which looked at what the extra cost was. So for a European flight, if you had 10% of all the fuel, of the fuel being SAF, it would cost less than $10. So less than a dollar for every percent SAF. For longer haul, it's, it's slightly more, but it's less than four or five dollars for every percent. Mm-hmm. It is SAF rather than, uh, than regular fossil jet fuel. So on the one hand, yes, it's a significant extra cost for the airlines. But on the other, if you translate into what it means for the end customer, is it? I think it, well, we need to leave it to the uh, audience to decide if that's reasonable cost. And what about the distribution? Because uh, at the moment, uh, SAF it's available at only a limited number of airports. So limited that I think I saw a, a map. It was online the other day. I don't remember the source. I'll, I'll check it out and I will try to post a link in the show notes. But it's actually you. Uh, you can count the, the number of airports where uh, SAF is is available on a on a normal basis, uh, basically with, you, with 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 your fingers because <laughs> there are not that many places where where you can you can source it 
what what are the prospects for the rollout of a proper um, distribution net network downstream? We have talked about the logistics of uh, getting all the feedstocks to the, the to the plants. Um, how many more plants are going to have to be built? Uh, many of them in new locations because uh, they they're going to be maybe closer to the source of feedstock or closer to the markets. But what about downstream distribution? Where is this blending taking place? What is the sort of infrastructure you would need to have in place for pretty much every flight having a, a percentage of sustainable aviation fuel on board? I think the Eurocontroller have done some analysis that I think it's 30 or 40 locations that have had SAF or, uh, but maybe not on a, on a regular ongoing basis but, but, but in Europe. But, but either way, um, we need to, I agree, we need to make it available in more locations. But it, you know, it is now uh, available in a number of locations and certainly uh, that will, will increase over the next uh, year. We are, as Neste, making it available to other established uh, oil company uh, aviation fuel marketers because we recognize that you often have to be, not all airports are open access, let's put it like that. So you have to own a uh, shareholding in the established infrastructure at the airports. We as Neste are willing to work with those established distributors because our interest is about growing the market mm-hmm. and making it available to the market. Fundamentally, you were saying, well, what level of infrastructure investment is going to be required to make this available? I would say, yes, we will need some storage and blending infrastructure. And we obviously need the production facilities, the production plants. But the distribution network doesn't need to be dramatically changed. Because once it's blended, it can go, just like any, any other jet fuel, down the pipe, on the vessel, in the truck, on the train. It doesn't, it doesn't need a, a new infrastructure. There's a lot of um, uncertainty and, and, and everybody's safety conscious and rightly so, but actually it doesn't need any new infrastructure at the airports. One of the things I realized is that when you read about a new sustainable aviation fuel being made available in, in some new airport or something like that, very often the name Neste came up very often. So even if the even if the company that is actually sending the press release is another one, but it's often like uh, SAF supplied by Neste. So I just wanted to ask you about what's the, the the story? How Neste chose to to become a pioneer in this in this field? It seems that in at least in Europe you are one of the the few suppliers or one of the major suppliers, depending on how you see it of sustainable yeah. aviation fuel. Um, I read that you also have uh, some production facilities that are in the making in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam. Yeah. Uh, you have a plant in Singapore as well that I don't know if it's already active or not yet. But it seems that Neste has uh, make, made a, a strategic choice of being a sort of a, the major player in this field. And I wanted to ask you specifically about your projects in this area and what can we expect in the next few years yeah, so you're, you're right. Neste is a leader in Europe and is also one of the, uh, the, uh, the major supplier in, in North America. Um, Neste produces today about 3 million tonnes per annum of renewable fuel. But that's not, not, only, not only for aviation. That includes no, biofuel as well. So that 3 million tonnes that we're producing today is predominantly renewable diesel. Our production capacity today for SAF is about 100,000 tonnes. We are investing right now, as you correctly said, in Singapore and in Rotterdam. So from, uh, and in 2023, our production capacity for SAF will increase from 100,000 tonnes to 1.5 million tonnes. May I ask you, these 100,000 tonnes, where are they produced now? In Finland? Or somewhere else. The hundred the hundred thousand tons that we make currently is produced uh, to start with in uh, our refinery in Finland. Mm-hmm. We then have a final production step in the uh, Rotterdam area, and mm-hmm. we then blend it and store it in the Rotterdam Ghent area, uh, and then um, make it available by all the different uh, logistics uh, methods to, to, to the European market. And so that 100,000 tonnes is going to grow to 1.5 million tonnes. And we project, and indeed the Clean Skies for Tomorrow analysis also indicated, that by 2025, roughly 8 million tonnes worth of 
sustainable aviation fuel capacity could be available if you base it off uh, uh, all the projects that have been announced and you maximize your SAS yield versus your renewable diesel uh, yield. And, and, and so we, we as Nestle certainly envisage remaining to be a major player. That 1.5 million tons is, is um, uh, what we will have available in 2023. So our production capacity of renewable fuels will grow from 3 million to 4.5 million tons. And then um, over and above that, we're looking at additional plant investments, both using this heifer-based technology, as well as also looking at the longer term at some of the other production technologies that we spoke about earlier. So, you know, uh, the message is that, yeah, we need to invest a lot. We need to grow the uh, production capacity. And Neste certainly uh, envisages um, being a major player going forward as well. Mm -hmm. So just making sense of all these numbers, uh, at the moment, you're producing 100,000. So that's yeah. to, in two years, is going to jump to 1.5 million. So from 1.5 million tons in 2023, you said you plan to jump to 4.5? No, sorry. Sorry, that, what I was saying was we'll have, Neste currently has 3 million tons worth of renewable fuel capacity. Mm -hmm. And we will grow it to 4.5. Ah, okay, understood. Uh, yeah. So what you're seeing is the, the growth in the SAF production capacity mm -hmm. from 100,000 to 1.5 million. Okay. And that's by 2023. And then I would say we've, we have announced the intention to also invest in another, I'll call it world-scale plant, mm -hmm. uh, which would, we'll make a final investment decision on in the next year. So mm -hmm. that's already demonstrating we're not stopping there. We, 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 our intention is to, to continue to grow the renewable fuels capacity, both for road transportation as well as for, for aviation. Okay. And, and uh, just as you mentioned, to put in context, by 2025, the global production capacity of sustainable, that sustainable aviation fuel, it's going to be 8 million tons, right? That's, if you look at the World Economic Forum, Clean Skies for Tomorrow report mm -hmm. from the end of last year, that was their view. The, 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 it could be less, but you know, it could be as much as eight million tons in 2025. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that shows. You know, eight million tons would be um, probably about about five percent of global aviation fuel demand, assuming we recover from COVID. Uh, yeah, just a bit, just a bit, a bit more than five percent, probably. Mm -hmm. um, and and. Um, I think that's probably a, a best case, mm -hmm. uh, but we as Neste certainly um, are investing and, you know, this will, um, we're not the only ones. So, you know, uh, there have been a number of announcements in, in North America. True. You know, you've got other players uh, looking at uh, heifer capacity in Europe as well. And, and quite interesting that uh, we have seen major airlines as well uh, investing, uh, in some cases in more than one project like uh, British Airways, for example is invested in, in a couple of different projects using different processes yeah. and with a different geographical footprint as well, because they are investing in, in the US and in the UK. Um, yeah. In the US, you, we are seeing also some players investing in, in Europe. Uh, KLM is also a partner in a number of projects. Um, so yeah, and, and uh, synthetic fuels as well. Uh, there are some projects that have airlines and even airports uh, because uh, we have here on the podcast a Swiss company called Sinhelion that has uh, Zurich Airport as a, as a partner as well. So it's, it's quite interesting how all the, all the different uh, aviation players are kind of getting, uh, getting involved in this, in this production, in this development of, of production capacity. Um, all right, so then we are aiming at around 5% Something like around 5% is what's to be expected around 2025, 5% of, of uh, the total uh, jet fuel market. Uh, yeah. well, considering there are no sudden changes in market conditions like the ones we've seen this last couple of years. And then you are opening the Rotterdam and Singapore facilities uh, soon as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a date for those to come on, on, on stream? Yeah, well, um... I think uh, what, what has been um, communicated publicly is um, and, and is that uh, Singapore would be coming on stream in early 2023. Okay. And the uh, Rotterdam 
investment will be completed in the um, latter part of 2023. Mm-hmm. The Singapore one, is it for the Asia-Pacific market or? Because it's we... for all markets, it's for all markets. Okay, well, I think we, we cover lots of ground, lots of interesting stuff happening in this industry. For people that want to learn more about the work you do at Neste and overall the sustainable aviation fuel landscape, what resources would you recommend? Websites, uh, social media channels, other information resources that might be informative about this space? Yeah, well, um, the Nestis sites, LinkedIn and all that kind of, those kind of uh, sources of information. I mean, there have been a number of um, reports generated uh, over the last 12 months uh, to help inform, which I think are really valuable in informing the the debate. Uh, I've referred to the World Economic Forum, Clean Skies for Tomorrow Coalition, and the reports they've produced at the end of last year and this year with um, analysis of what they believe is possible from a feedstock and a production point of view and how that plays into then what um, policy uh, options there are. I know there was the ATAG uh, report at the end of last year, which looked to 2050 as to what was possible. And I, in my mind, that was a that was a build on work that IELTSA has done over 10 years and showing how SAF, can, and the different kinds of SAF and how SAF is a one one part of the solution alongside different aircraft technologies and um, and operational efficiencies, and then the um, other report is the um, I think it was Airlines for Europe and, and ACI uh, issued a report that uh, I forget the uh, the name of it, but that was also I think a valuable. Navig- I, um, yeah, I can't recall the, the yeah. title of it. I'll, I'll uh, look for it. I'll look for it, and and if I can find the link, I'll post it in yeah. the show notes as well. I think anybody recognises. There are solutions for today and there are solutions for tomorrow. But there's no silver bullet. Let's not try and fixate on one technology or one answer. We need to work and we need to work on this together. And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier, the industry is collaborating together, um, which, you know, it's got to be a positive. Indeed. Well, Jonathan, it's, it's been uh, very, very interesting to get this uh, great overview of this industry, this uh, growing segment of the uh, energy industry and, and of the aviation industry as well. Now it's pretty much every week we're seeing an announcement about uh, sustainable aviation fuel. But if we are to get to those very ambitious goals that set up by the European Union and possibly by other, by other governments uh, in the near future, definitely there's going to have to be uh, some uh, serious expansion of, of production capacity. So thank you very much, Jonathan, for for your time today and hopefully speak soon. All those new plans and and new projects come on on stream. Yeah, look forward to it. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, uh, Mikhail. A pleasure. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.